In today's culture, children are more susceptible to coming in contact with sexual sin than ever before. And even if parents are vigilant to protect their children, a child can still be introduced to pornography at school, at a friend's house, or even under their own roof. So what happens when you find out your child is viewing pornography? When a Christian parent finds out that their child has been looking at pornography, they're often thrown into a whirlwind of thoughts and emotions. Where did we go wrong? Why would my child do such a thing? How will we ever recover from this? If the Lord has allowed you as a parent to discover your child viewing porn, don't despair. There are some clear answers to your questions and there is a path forward. Today we discuss some of the basic spiritual principles that will help you find the right mindset so that you can guide your child into victory in the battle for sexual purity. I'm your host, Nate Dancer. This is Purity for Life. We're going to tackle a difficult topic today. And we certainly don't claim to have all the solutions for raising a child in a godless culture, but our ministry is built on the rock-solid promise that when people are willing to deal with sin in their lives, they will change. In our first segment, Josh Bergstrom, who is a Pure Life staff member and a parent of three, discusses the biblical ways to respond when you discover your child has been looking at pornography. Again, this is not a comprehensive examination of the topic, but we do hope that it will be a firm reminder to keep your heart and mind focused on the Lord and to seek Him for godly wisdom on how to lead your child to repentance and to Christ. Here are some startling statistics. The average age for first exposure to pornography is 11 years old. A study by the company Bitdefender showed that nearly one-fourth of those under 18 years old looking at porn were 10 or younger. And according to Google Analytics, when kids get home from school, porn searches increase by 4,700%. In today's culture, children are more susceptible to coming in contact with sexual sin than ever before. And even if parents are vigilant to protect their children, a child can still be introduced to pornography at school, at a friend's house, or even under their own roof. So what happens when you find out your child is viewing pornography? What if they are already counted in those studies? The common reaction to that dreadful moment is one of panic, immediate and harsh correction, more intense consequences if it continues, and a cold, sterile demand for change. And let me assure you, you will never find a magical 10 steps to a pure child. As legitimate as the concern is, giving way to those intense emotional reactions can do more harm than good. In fact, if not dealt with in the proper way, our emotions will blind us from knowing the Lord's role and purpose for the situation. Proverbs 14.29 says this, Whoever is patient has great understanding but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And a situation like this requires great understanding. So the first step is to maintain a right perspective on the situation. 
Doing this will keep you from going to the extremes and will allow you to continue in a righteous mindset with clarity as you minister to your child. Remember that it is the Lord allowing this to be exposed. A good backdrop for this would be Romans 8.28, which tells us that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God is causing everything to work together for good, so he has a purpose in it all. Now, pornography is nothing new to Pure Life Ministries, and most who go through one of our counseling programs have lived years, even decades, under the cloud of hidden sexual sin, especially pornography, at a devastating cost to themselves, to their families, and to their friends. So the exposure of it in the life of a child is indeed a merciful act from a loving Heavenly Father. Maintaining a right perspective starts with giving God praise. Yep, you heard right. Now speaking of God, David wrote in Psalm 22, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Cast all your cares onto the one who cares for you and start thanking him. This will open your heart to receive from him. You'll be able to see God's character more clearly. Thank him that this is not only about your child, but about his glory. Thank him that he's allowing this chance for your child to learn about repentance before the roots of sexual sin go deeper and before its corrupting influences steal so much of their youth. Next, consider God's dealings with you and your sin. Let me ask you, are you in the habit of reminding yourself of God's mercy towards you? Psalm 103 verse 10 will set your mind on God's heart in this process. It says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Has the Lord ever held back some of your sin and left you with the bill? Has God ever yelled at you because you made him look bad to his friends? View this as a pivotal opportunity to be a real-life example of God's great mercy for your child. Maintaining a right perspective will help with the next point, using godly discipline or training correctly. Now, for us parents, this is a very difficult yet important task. Scripture is there to show us how to rightly administer godly discipline. In our day, the word discipline carries the negative connotation of physical pain. But the word in Scripture also means training and self-control. I spent much of my younger days playing baseball, and we disciplined ourselves through training so that our skills would improve. This perspective of discipline as a way of training my children has shaped my understanding of the purpose and aim of godly discipline. The aim for godly discipline is training for the purpose of godliness. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul wrote this. He said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. A 
practical way to do this is to set up safeguards in the life of your child. Some examples would be no privacy in the home when on the computer, having a filter installed on all devices, and as much parental watchfulness as is practical over activities and friendships outside the home. Now the setting forth of these with a harsh hand will only cause the walls of resistance to go up. Pray for humility and how these safeguards are imparted to your child and how they will be administered by you. Pray for their hearts to willingly submit to these boundaries. Also, consider the godly atmosphere in your own home. Let's talk about entertainment. Are you mindful of the quality and message of the movies and music you allow? Are they edifying or full of carnality? How big of a role does entertainment play in your family? If your child sees that your life is centered on entertainment, they might just think that porn is their version of entertainment. It could come across as a double standard. And what about the spiritual atmosphere? Are the word of God and prayer the driving forces in your home and personal life? Are you in the habit of dealing with your sin or covering it? Are repentance and God-honoring ideals like patience, goodness, faithfulness, confession, and gentleness practiced often? Or do criticism, gossip, unkindness, and selfishness seem to be the valued behaviors? Just take an honest assessment and think about what your child may have been observing. You can also train them from your own personal experiences. What has helped you in the past and brought you into true spiritual change? Would you be willing to share your testimony with them? It may surprise them to know your own struggles with impurity and pride, selfishness, lust and greed. But that would also give them hope to see that with the help of Christ, they can get past it in their own life. We here at Pure Life Ministries would be careless if you left this video thinking that your child will change if just less provision was made for their flesh or if only the atmosphere in your home improved. Now, while those things do go a long way in living victorious against temptation, we know full well that this is a matter of heart change. Now, only you know your child best as to whether they have crossed that line into submitting their heart to the Lord or not. So whether your child exhibits fruits of repentance and a humble and willing spirit, or if they are in rebellion and balk at authority, there is one thing that you should never do. Never stop praying. James 5.15 says, The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then in verse 16, he says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer is your greatest weapon in this battle for the soul of your child. And often, we get into desperate situations. When we pray to the Lord for his aid, he delivers for real and lasting victory over sexual sin, one needs to be broken in their spirit. Psalm 34:18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This is really what your child needs, to be near the Lord. Your child may already be saved. They need you to come alongside them and pray for repentance and help against giving in. Your child may not be saved. They need your cries for their eyes to be opened to their need for Christ. Your only hope rests in His intervention in the life of your child. So if you find out that your child is viewing pornography, 
resist those urges to throw in the towel or your hands in the air. If you remember his promise to never leave you nor forsake you, you will find encouragement in this situation. The Lord assures us in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. To close, let me recite Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church as a prayer for you. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. In his book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, Steve Gallagher wrote, Lust and masturbation are not only wrong in themselves, but perhaps even worse, they open the door to all kinds of deeper perversions. I cannot begin to count the men I have ministered to over the years who never imagined where their indulgence of lust and masturbation would lead them. Anyone who starts down this road can quickly find himself veering out of control. In our next segment, our former director of counseling, Brad Fergus, discusses why a firm conviction about these topics is vital to overcoming sexual sin. And we hope that this discussion will not only convince you personally of God's view on these issues, but that you will have a greater understanding of how to counsel your children on these topics. Brad, we're going to be talking today about developing convictions about lust and masturbation, the M-word. And Steve Gallagher, in his book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, wrote on the subject, A man will never have a pure heart as long as he equivocates about the sinfulness of lust and or masturbation. Uh, Talk to us, Brad, about uh, the two types of believers and what the responses uh, might be to hearing something like that. Well, the two types that you have would be a person who is definitely being convicted about their struggle with lust or masturbation, but they choose to take the path of least resistance. Then you have another person who has more of a tender conscience and just responds to the guilt feelings in a different way by crying out to God, Lord, I want to be free of this. I know how you feel about this, the bondage, the darkness that I'm in. God, please set me free. Well, let's go back and talk about the one who chooses the path of least resistance. Uh, what kinds of things is that guy saying to himself? Well, it can be many things. Some guys will say, every guy struggles with this. God understands. I do want to say, because our tendency, because we deal primarily primarily with men in our live-in programs that we, we tend to say guys, but this is an issue that women deal with as well, Kathy. Yeah. 
And we don't want to leave them out because it's a huge issue for women that are struggling with sexual sin. And it's so easy for men or women to justify, you know, a lot of people get weary, battle weary. You get tired Mm. of just the constant bombardment of sexual images. And in our culture, you can hardly get away from it. But some people just give up and they use the grace word to justify their behavior. You know, I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of women and those women that have that attitude never really have what I would call freedom. Not just freedom from sin, but freedom inside as a person. There's just a certain, it's prison-like. It really is. And you don't realize how much it binds your relationships, your life. Everything that you do in life is so affected by it. And also we live in a culture too, both in the church and outside of the church, where leaders are saying it's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Masturbation is okay if it's just you and yourself, it's okay. And uh, hopefully once you get married, it's something you grow out of. But that's so deceiving to people because what it's basically saying to a person who may initially be trying to resist, look, stop fighting. It's okay. You can still be a Christian and give over to this from time to time. And it really gives a person no hope because any believer that is sincere about the Lord, they give over to masturbation and lust. There has to be a sense of conviction that tells them this is not right, regardless of what they're hearing. Let's look at this issue in two different ways. Uh, Steve, in his book, talks about masturbation, certainly in the practical aspect that, you know, we know how the body works, we know all of that. But he also makes the point that I think is so important was that we're not just talking about the physical behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about a behavior that begins in the heart. What do we mean, Brad, when we talk about the heart? It should be clear that Christianity begins and ends in the heart. As we look in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, God has always been targeting men and women's hearts. That's where God wants to deal with. But the heart is basically a person's emotions, their feelings, affections, motives, attitudes. It's the seat of influence uh, for a person's life. Uh, I know the mistake so many guys make is that they just try to white-knuckle it. They just say, okay, I'm just going to stop doing this. But inevitably, that is probably going to lead to failure because the heart issue has to be dealt with. Definitely. One of the major things in counseling when you bring a counselee in is to get them to see something is wrong with your heart. It says in Jeremiah 17:9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Jesus is an expert of the heart, and that's what he targeted when he addressed people. And so a man struggling with lust, struggling with masturbation, it's a clear sign something is not right in his heart. His affections are drawn to the wrong place. There's an idol there or idols that are blocking his view of God and separating him from the Lord at the heart level. And we can really say that about any sexual sin, mm-hmm. or any sin, right. really, that's uh, true. is that there's something in the heart that is a problem. I think that's probably one of the errors that we find in a lot of the psychotherapy going on, psychology, is that it is very often dealing more with behavior modification, right. but fails to deal with the real thing that needs to take place, which is heart modification. Well, what is it, uh, Brad, in the heart of a man or a woman? What is really the core issue that they need to deal with when dealing with masturbation? Well, the biblical issue is is lust. Some temptation is presented, whether it's uh, something they see in the culture or maybe they stumble upon pornography on the Internet. Whatever the case may be, it's lust that's in the heart. They're tempted, drawn away because of their own lust, as it says in James 1. And once they're enticed, sin is conceived, and they just give over, and they're drawn away. Now talk to me about lust. I don't want to assume that everyone listening is going to know what that really means. What is lust? Well, lust is a sinful longing or desire for something that God has forbidden. There tends to be like a reactive kind of lust. Steve uses this example when he's 
speaks, I'm walking down the aisle of Walmart, and there's this individual, this person that's very attractive, and there's a reaction inside of me to that circumstance, and then there's the kind of lust where I'm actually making it happen. When a person is dealing with lust, do they need to differentiate between those two? I think it's helpful. Guy goes to Walmart, he's going there to go shopping, he's not going there to lust or whatever, and he's he's in the line, and, and uh, some woman walks by who's scantily dressed, and there's an, a natural response to seeing a, an attractive woman that occurs. But if that man turns away, he's a Christian, and he turns away and looks the other way or maybe prays for this woman that she'll come to know the Lord or learn not to be a stumbling block to other men, he's made a, a right choice, and he's not given over to lust. But then you take another guy who may, maybe he sees a woman like dressed that way, and he stares her down and mm-hmm. maybe wants to stalk her and follow her home or something. That's something totally different than just reactive lust. And then I know that sometimes the enemy will perpetrate that lie, that if it's reactive lust, if I'm having a natural reaction or whatever, that the enemy will condemn me for that. Right. Well, it's important for for men and women to know that temptation is not lust. That's right. It's what you do when you're tempted. You know, if you're tempted and then you stare and you gaze and fantasize, then you're crossing a line into sin. But if you're tempted and you're grieved or you turn away from it, that doesn't mean that you've sinned. Okay. We have a better understanding now of what lust is. How do I deal with this? You know, it seems at first glance that giving up masturbation, since that's what we're talking about, that that's not a hard thing to do. Just stop doing it. But how do I stop my heart from going in the direction of lust. How do I change my heart? What do I do with that? I don't believe we're capable of changing our own hearts. Mm -hmm. I believe we have available to us a great high priest that we can run to daily to look for mercy and grace to help us when we're tempted. Jesus was tempted in all points as we're tempted, but he never sinned. So he's an expert at helping us to deal with temptations and things that that come our way. Starts first uh, with a confession. Look, I'm given over. I'm not I'm not fighting. I'm not glorifying God in these things that I'm given over to. But Lord, in light of your word and your truth and what Jesus has done for me on Calvary, Lord, I want to be free. Jesus, you came to set captives free. So I appeal to you to help me through this. So the way I see it, and it's been my experience, person has to be honest with themselves. They have to be honest with God and confess. And there has to be a cry, Lord, I want to be free. And to know that freedom is available. It's not just something you say and then you spend the rest of your life struggling with no results at all. You know, Brad, earlier Kathy mentioned covetousness as an aspect of lust. Uh, How important is contentment when dealing with lust? Well, contentment is very important because it actually puts out the flame of lust. If you're content with uh, the blessings that God has given you and you live with a grateful heart, you're full. and There's no need or desire to take more for yourself because you already have so much. And there's a desire to want to give what God has given to you to others. You know, I've learned that since I've been here at Pure Life Ministries, the importance of a grateful heart. Mm, You look at Romans 1, people go down that spiral of degradation because, number one, they refuse to glorify God with their bodies, Mm -hmm. and they weren't thankful. So when we're talking about masturbation, then, uh, what we're saying is that the fundamental issue is an issue of the heart, that it is rooted in lust, covetousness, and that it is wrong because it is a completely selfish act. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, Mike, I would like to say anyone who's struggling with masturbation, they need to ask themselves, is this something 
that brings glory to God? Is mm. this something that pleases God? Because I've had people tell me, you know, there are a lot of things that we do that are selfish, but just consider masturbation. When I brush my teeth, I don't feel condemned. I feel right. like I'm doing the right thing. But when years when and I And it's not stroke, selfish either. We're glad you brushed your teeth today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> years when years back when I struggled with masturbation, there was always a sense that I failed the Lord, mm. that I wasn't right with him. And mm-hmm. I think if you're just honest with yourself and with God, you gotta say masturbation and lust, it's wrong. It doesn't please the Lord. It doesn't draw me closer to God. It, it actually pushes me further away from him. Right. Brad, you counsel many men that come into the program. Uh, You've heard many stories of men, how they got into sin. How often have you seen that masturbation is the thing that opens the door to a much greater depravity? Well, you see it a lot. Most of the men that come started out looking at pornography, then masturbation came in. The porn, the masturbation, the fantasy increased, increased, increased until eventually many of the men that come to us have acted out their fantasies with someone, and it's taken them further than they ever imagined going. Brad, thanks for coming in and shedding some light on uh, lust and masturbation. I know it's a subject that is uncomfortable for many, but it is a subject that we need to be honest and open about in the body of Christ because it is a tremendous roadblock to what God wants to do in the lives of many men and women. So thanks for talking to us about that today. To end today's episode, I want to play an interview with Pastor Ed Book as he discusses the topic of fear and how to overcome it. If you're facing pornography in your child's life, then it's likely you're afraid for their future and their well-being, but it's also likely that they are afraid because sin naturally breeds fear. So I hope this interview will encourage you that the Lord is with you in your battle for your child's soul. Ed Book has joined me in the studio. Ed, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Ed, you wrote an article recently for our e-zine entitled Paralyzed by Fear, and I suspect that anyone listening can think of many times in their lives where fear has been an issue. We can all relate to the idea of fear, but you started this article out with, I thought, an interesting paragraph uh, juxtaposing two things about fear. Talk about that. Yeah, well, maybe I should say at the outset that I've certainly had a lot of experience with fear (laughs) over the years. Uh, Mm. As a child, very fearful individual, especially of the dark, as Mm. many young children are. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. me too. I still don't look under the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, I still don't uh, walk up to windows at night. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So a couple of the things that stood out to me as I looked at the scriptures and my own experience kind of side by side when it comes to fear is one thing is that as a human being, fear paralyzes me. I get stuck. And I think that's true in general of people. We are paralyzed by fear. Mm, yeah. But on the other hand, Satan, our adversary, is animated by fear. It mm. uh, is an atmosphere that he thrives in and mm-hmm. I think works very, very hard to incite and keep immersing us in an atmosphere of fear because that's where he can do his work to corrupt and destroy lives yeah. so effectively. Yeah, no doubt about that. And well, hopefully as we go through this article, we'll be able to help to at least encourage people to have hope that they can get free of that fear that the enemy is so often trying to keep us in. One of the examples that you used of that, a classic example of fear, I think, uh, was Peter. 
Yeah, well, one of the probably most well-known stories of fear in the Bible is Peter uh, walking on the water. He has mm-hmm. that, uh, well, all the, a number of the disciples are in the boat and headed across the lake, and Jesus comes walking on the water toward them, and their reaction is fear. He says some reassuring things to them, and eventually Peter says, well, Lord, if it's really you, invite me to come walking on the water to you. And Jesus does that. He says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and I'm sure many many of us have heard this story, and he loses his focus. He makes a decisive error here and takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to see the boisterous waves and the storm around him and starts to sink in the water. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he calls on Jesus. Jesus reaches out his hand to him and says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Mm. You brought out, and I thought this was good, you brought out that that question revealed a serious problem that you believe most of us face. Yeah, exactly, because what we see here in this uh, passage with Peter is that fear is literally drowning faith, and that is true in so many of our lives. You know, we can get stuck in unbelief. I personally have felt that at Mm -hmm. times when I was in my sexual sin in particular, feeling powerless to stop the behaviors that I knew were sinful, as well as powerless to put into practice the steps I could see and read in Scripture or other (laughs) biblical materials that Jesus was inviting me to take toward that freedom. But Mm -hmm. I was paralyzed. (laughs) Mm-hmm. it seemed, by the role that fear was playing in my life. And and that's because we're dealing with a lot of fears, and I think this is very true of sexual addicts or yeah. those dealing with sexual sin, that fear has played a huge role in our lives. And probably many are dealing with something like a fear of intimacy, uh, fear of emotional pain and rejection, fear of inadequacy, just feeling insignificant and unable Those are all things that kind of even feed and propel us into those uh, sexual addictions. Yeah, I had a checkbox next to each one of those as I look (laughs) back on some of the things that drew me into sexual sin. On the other side of that, though, you also say fear is very often the thing that hinders us from getting out of the sexual sin that fear led us into. Exactly, and that's what I mean by fear animating Satan. So now he's got us in this trap of fear, and I was propelled there by fear, and I can't get out because now I'm afraid of getting caught or exposed. Mm afraid of losing my reputation, afraid of the consequences that I might have to deal with when my sin is exposed like that. It's really a horrible trap in a pit. And many people, I believe, out there listening today might be stuck in that pit. And it is my hope that they will understand that they don't have to stay Mm. there. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, You talked about that there is, in fact, ultimately only one way to escape this fear-based prison, as you called it. Yeah, Mike, the only way to get out of this prison is to face our fears. Uh, Proverbs says uh, very clearly that the fear of the wicked will come upon him, and that's exactly (laughs) what happens in many cases, unfortunately, is we let it go too long and the things we fear happen. In my case, my sexual sin got exposed and Mm -hmm. I was caught, and all those things that I feared came upon me. And I think many people experience that. But we can, at any point, make the choice to face those fears head on and overcome them. And the Lord would have us do that much sooner than many of us opt to do. Mm -hmm. You said that coming to grips with our fears is not complicated. It may not be complicated, but if you're in the grip of fear, it very often seems elusive. How do I do that if I find myself driven by fear, controlled by fear? What do I do with that? 
Yeah, there's, a, in my mind, Mike, a two-pronged approach, kind of. We need to replace that fear with faith, and the mm. faith is just going to come from the Word of God. There's no way around that. You need to be immersed in the Word of God and letting the Word of God take a higher place in your thinking, in your heart, than the fears mm-hmm. and the emotions behind those fears. But at the same time, you know, while you mentioned it's not complicated, it's not easy either. Uh, yeah. And I don't want to minimize that because I'm not even sure a person can literally do that alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience, and I think the experience of most people I'm familiar with, is it takes a group of believers who can come alongside and help pray through on that regard before you can really overcome fear in your life. Yeah. You closed this article by talking about the woman with the issue of blood, which I think really spoke well to the love of Jesus in the midst of our fear. Talk about that. Yes, Mike. I think everyone's probably familiar with that uh, account in Scripture, but this woman had a 12-year issue of blood. She's bound in her fear and her uncleanness very much, like Mm -hmm. someone in Mm -hmm. sexual sin. And she gets just enough sight of Jesus in her desperation to reach out and touch the hem of his garment and and gets the healing she needs. But the reality of that story is, you know, when she touches him, Jesus immediately stops everything. He's mm-hmm. on his way to heal somebody else, but he's he got stops. quite a crowd around him too. Exactly. In fact, Peter said that, you know, and when Jesus asked, who touched me? Peter's response was, Master, you know, you're surrounded by this large group of people. It could have been any of us. Right. <laughs> Why do you even care? It was pretty much behind Peter's statement. And when we think about that, I think the reason Jesus really did care was because he'd loved that woman perfectly. And in that love, he understood that while she had been healed of her uncleanness, her fear remained. Mm. And we see when he finally calls her before him, it says specifically she came in fear and trembled before him, Mm -hmm. but she confessed in that moment everything to him. And his response to her was, daughter, your faith has made you well. And she overcame all of her fear by that faith that he drew out of her and really imparted to her even in that very same moment. Yeah, he really, he laid the foundation for hope in her that she did not have before. You know, even as you're talking about that, I I think of the man that was healed by the, the pool at the Sheep Gate. And, you know, when he was asked who healed you, he didn't know who healed him. But I've, I've always loved the fact that Jesus arranged a second meeting yes. so that he could know who healed him. And he wanted to heal his heart, of course, and he wanted to give that man a hope that he didn't have just by his healing, as wonderful as that was. That's right. Yeah. I think maybe many of us today would settle for just physical mm. healing, but God is always after something much, much deeper. Yes. And much more wonderful. Yes. Yes. Amen. Well, Ed, we appreciate you writing this article and uh, sharing it with us today. And hopefully, for those who may be experiencing uh, fear in different ways in their life, it will provide some hope to them that Jesus is not only aware of their fears, but he wants to set them free from the fears and the consequences of them. That's right. Ed Book, thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Helping a child that's involved in pornography is a daunting task for any parent. We at Pure Life, we can't give you an easy one, two, three formula for a lust-free son or daughter. But the Lord is able to help you as a parent. We know, according to James 1, 5 through 6, 
that the Lord is willing to give anyone wisdom for the trials that they pass through. If we ask for wisdom, and if we do not doubt that he will answer, we will have what we need to go through safely. Lastly, our Overcomers at Home program is available for teens age 15 and older and would be excellent for any mature teenager who wants to break free from lust and pornography. And we also have many resources on our web store that you as a parent could lead your child through. These would be of great benefit to both of you as you disciple your child through this time. That's all for today's episode of Purity for Life. We hope to see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.